0: Hey guys, welcome to the Candid Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Hardy from CandidConfidence.com. I'm a confidence coach, blogger, and online course instructor here to help you unleash your inner badass. This podcast is with a girl who is ready to ditch the self doubt, overcome the overthinking, and live a life that feels fearless and free. So let's do the damn thing. All right, ladies, welcome back to the Candid Confidence podcast. We are here today with an amazing guest and my first ever guest on the show, Claire Tuning. Claire is a non-diet registered dietitian, a yoga teacher, and a feud humor enthusiast. She helps her clients recover from the negative mental and physical effects of chronic dieting and disordered eating, through the principles of intuitive eating and a health at every size approach. She's a firm believer that our relationship with food can be fun, joyful, and nourishing, not stressful or filled with numbers, restriction, and shame. And she's also the biggest fan of PB&J you'll likely ever meet. Claire, we are so excited to have you on the show. I just know my listeners are going to freaking love you and get so much value out of this episode. So welcome, welcome to the show. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much
1: for having me, inviting me on. I am very honored to be your first guest. And as a fellow podcaster myself, I know how exciting it is to bring other people on the show and kind of help your audience learn from different people, different perspectives. So I'm really happy to be included and I'm
0: excited to see what we dive into today. Awesome, awesome. So excited for today. So before we dive into the questions I have, can you just share a little backstory of who you are and how you became an intuitive eating coach and and that type of a non-diet dietitian? Absolutely. So it's an interesting story,
1: and I find it interesting because the more I look back at my childhood and the early parts of my, my schooling and career now, it makes total sense why I ended up the way that I am now as a non diet dietitian. But I haven't always been this way, and it was a little bit of a journey to kind of circle back and find my roots. So I'll dive back very briefly here to me as a kid. I grew up having a wonderful relationship with food. Food was curiosity. It was exploration. It was something that I was encouraged to do and enjoy and explore from a very young age. I feel very fortunate and very privileged that I grew up in a family where food was always on the table, it was always something we were talking about. Um, Actually, my family owns a couple of restaurants, or owned, not anymore. Um, We own a fish farm, so it was a very food-centric family from the beginning. I grew up cooking with my dad pretty much from the time that I could reach the counter. I had my hands in something in the kitchen, and I always joke that my mom is the baker of the family. But I learned very early on that baking wasn't for me because there were too many rules that you couldn't break. (laughs) Um, A little (laughs) flash forward to how I ended up how I am today taking this non-diet approach. But um, I grew up having this wonderful relationship with food, which of course led me to the question of what do I want to do when I grow up? And I asked myself, well, what do I love to do? And the obvious and very natural answer was, I love to eat, (laughs) I love to make food, I love to talk about food. And I knew pretty clearly that I didn't want to be a chef because as I said, my family had owned some restaurants and I knew how tough that could be, how the hours were really long, it's not really conducive to family life. So I asked myself, well, what other career might involve food in some way, shape, or form that doesn't involve doing all of the cooking all the time. So I turned to the internet, our good friend, and I realized that becoming a registered dietitian was a thing that existed that I could do to help people also love food and nourish their own body. So that is kind of where the idea began. But then as I progressed throughout high school and the early part of my college career, I got a little bit too curious for my own good, if that's even a thing, and I started to self educate on all things food. So I was looking into food books and food research, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself however i was looking at it through this lens of well how can i eat perfectly to be the perfect future registered dietitian because of course if people are going to be coming to me for advice about how they should be eating well then i also have to have the quote-unquote perfect diet major air quotes around that by the way um, but this kind of took me down a path of not feeling that fun and joyous adventurous relationship with food that I had as a kid. My relationship with food became very good bad, clean dirty, very restrictive in many different ways and I realized this isn't why I got into this profession. I didn't get into this profession to beat myself up or um, to teach people things about food that were going to impair not only their physical health, but also their mental health. So around this time, kind of towards the end of my college career, I started coming out of that more restrictive and controlling relationship with food. And I started to get back to my roots for lack of a better term. So I started allowing foods back in that I enjoyed, I started cooking a little bit more when I moved off campus and I really started kind of anchoring back into that fun place with food that had led me to the career in the first place. And to become a registered dietitian, there's four years of undergrad schooling and then there's about a year or 1200 hours of an internship afterwards that pretty much looks like you working 40 plus hours a week and paying to do that so that's a whole other story but uh, I got to the end of my internship and it was a very serendipitous moment where I was walking through the library on a Christmas break and I was looking for a new book to read and naturally I was in the food and the nutrition and the cookbook section and my hand I don't know if it was divine intervention if this was meant to be but my hand landed on a book called intuitive eating that was written by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch and I pulled it off the shelf and I will never forget the moment when I said to myself well this might be a good book to read (laughs) and from that moment forward my own relationship with food has been mended and healed in more ways than one but really my career and the the professional trajectory of where I wanted to go with my profession has been formed and shaped and molded in a way that I couldn't be more grateful that it has been so kind of to bring us now to present day something that I didn't mention or maybe i kind of did a little bit by saying my family has owned restaurants but i grew up in a very entrepreneurial family as well so i came out of that internship i found that book and i also thought to myself well not only do i want to take a non-traditional approach to nutrition aka intuitive eating but i also want to do this on my own terms on my own time in my own way so i decided to start my own business so now I do intuitive eating coaching 100% virtually, and I work with my one-on-one clients to help them mend and heal their relationship with food and their own bodies through the principles of intuitive eating, and it has been so cool to work with people from all different walks of life, people who live in different states, even different countries, and really hear their stories and hold space for them and help them to find that relationship with food that is fun is confident I'm sure you'll like uh, being on this podcast and that is easeful and that is uncoupled from diet culture so I know that was kind of a lot but that's me in a nutshell as far as where
0: I have come from to where I am now awesome thank you so much for sharing that you tell the stories so well Great. Can you give us a little bit of, I guess, what was in that book? So what made you feel like, okay, intuitive eating, this is better than dieting. What was kind of that breakthrough for you?
1: Yeah, I love that question. and. For me, which is maybe something you can appreciate, I know before we hit record here, I asked you some of the things you talk about here on the podcast, and you mentioned the word woo woo. <laughs> and I had to <laughs> chuckle a little bit because I am very much along that same vein. And I, you know, it, it fits with intuitive eating, but I'm a, a big proponent of when something feels right or when you read something and it clicks with you, that's when you know you have found your thing so when i picked up that intuitive eating book what i felt that it offered me was uh, words there were research studies there were um, little tidbits of proof to show that the relationship with food that i had as a kid is healthy and is positive and is really the quote-unquote normal relationship with food that we can all get back to in fact in the book it actually talks about the importance of returning to a place in your relationship with food that is kind of filled with this childlike sense of wonder and awe and pleasure and satisfaction so when i heard those words and i realized that the book was written by two fellow registered dietitians and this is an actual approach it is a framework of 10 research informed principles that are health at every size aligned so when i had realized they had put forth this framework for other dietitians to help spread the message, I knew that it was something that I had to do. So I guess to answer your question, it was the the gut reaction of I have to do this, of returning to that childlike sense of ease around food, and also those 10 principles that kind of take the woo-woo-ness or the things that are a little bit intangible and they make them teachable and a little bit more tangible to people like myself
0: and yourself and also my clients absolutely um so what would you say are some of the key benefits of intuitive eating versus dieting oh i
1: love this question uh, i can go on and on and on about the benefits of intuitive eating but i think Um, What I would really like to highlight here as far as what intuitive eating does and what dieting doesn't is intuitive eating is really a framework to help one reconnect with your sense of body trust and body wisdom. So really what intuitive eating does is it brings the emotional part of the brain, the primal instinct part of the brain, and also the rational part of the brain all onto the same page so that we can do things like honor our cravings and pay attention to things like hunger and fullness and satisfaction. And we can learn to do that in a way that aligns with what makes us feel good and how we can do this in a way to honor our sense of trust and confidence in our own sense of wisdom instead of putting something so personal and something um, so so close to home as our food choices on something like a diet or a meal plan. I really find that what dieting does in the long run is it not only harms things like our physical body, meaning our metabolism, if we are under fueling, but it can also harm our mental health. It can make us obsess over food and body and something that is meant to be quote unquote for our health can actually in the long run be something that really detracts from our health and really takes away from our health. So what I love that intuitive eating does is it brings all sectors of health onto the same page where we're focusing on ways to honor our physical health through what foods make us feel good and we're looking to move our body in ways that we enjoy and bring us satisfaction rather than out of obligation or to burn x number of calories so i really feel like intuitive eating is that kind of holistic whole person approach rather than the very rigid black and white mentality that diet culture tells us you know you have to do these things in order to be healthy but in reality There is no one size
0: fits all. And I feel like that is what intuitive eating encompasses really well. Yes, I completely agree. That makes so much sense. So kind of going off of that, how would you say that the intuitive eating approach promotes confidence and self-love? Because that's something that I'm definitely trying to teach my listeners. And I think you can totally um, shine, shed some light on that. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So um,
1: confidence and self-love, self-appreciation, self-respect, whatever you want to call it, is something that can't really be separated from intuitive eating. Um, Something that I encourage many of my clients to have on this journey is some self-compassion and showing ourselves that sense of compassion so that we have the space to grow and learn and get curious about our own behaviors and what might serve us. So like I said a couple of moments ago, the thing that diet culture or diets in general Really hacks away at is our sense of confidence in ourselves and trust in ourselves. I think diets do a really good job of convincing us that we have to be on a plan or we have to track our calories or we have to obey this meal plan in order to be quote unquote healthy or know what's good for our bodies when in reality, we have known how to eat and nourish our bodies from the moment that we were born. And that isn't necessarily an ability that we lose, but we can just kind of lose sight of that over time. And the more diets we go on, the more you know meal plans we involve ourselves in, the longer that we've been in this dieting space, it can become difficult to tune into that wisdom and difficult to trust that wisdom of the body because we have been taught rather implicitly or explicitly that our bodies aren't good enough, that our bodies can't be trusted. So I really Mm -hmm. feel like when someone decides to go down an intuitive eating approach, we have to bring both feet in the boat rather than straddling one foot in the intuitive eating boat and one foot in the diet culture boat. And we say, I know this is going to be hard and I know this is going to take a lot of unlearning and relearning but if I can have that sense of trust if I can lean into the cues that my body is giving me and offer myself that sense of self compassion then maybe I can get somewhere with this so um, I hope that answers your question but really our messages of of confidence and self-love you can't really um, untie them from intuitive eating because you can't have one without the other they are both needed to to help each other flourish for sure
0: yeah yeah I love that I love that so much because I I mean part of the reason I'm not into the whole diet and culture situation is because I just feel like it's so negative it's it's just so much about judging ourselves and you know holding ourselves with ridiculous standards that aren't sustainable so that definitely makes sense What about in terms of mindset? Mindset's obviously the biggest thing that I talk about on the podcast. Um, And I know that intuitive eating is something that you help people with along kind of tied in with mindset. Can you talk about that a little bit? Of course. Um, Something that I like
1: to tell my clients all of the time is that it's not just about the food. I think many people come to someone like myself, they come to a dietitian, and the first thought is, well, we're only gonna talk about food and the only thing I'm going to do here is heal my relationship with food. However, we human beings are not that simple and we are a lot more complicated than that. I always like to say that we can't really separate different parts of our life into different buckets. So we can't say, okay, my relationship with food is gonna live over here, and then my relationship with my significant other is gonna live over here, and then my mindset is gonna be in this other category. They are all very much tied together and sometimes tangled like a big ball of yarn. So to answer your question, I'm actually going to reference something that I said a few moments ago. I don't know if you or any of the listeners picked up on it, but I use the phrase unlearning and relearning. And I think this is super important in an intuitive eating journey. And honestly, if any of my clients, current or past, are listening to this, they are probably nodding their head and saying that Claire sounds like a broken record because (laughs) I talk about the unlearning and the relearning process so much. When we grow up in diet culture, when we live in the diet culture that we live in, which we all do we are all subject to these messages there is no little oasis right we can create one as best as we can for ourselves but diet culture really is the water that we swim in so from a very early age it's easy to internalize these messages about food about our bodies, about what we should and shouldn't be doing, you know, the good, clean, bad, dirty whole aspect to to food and body type. So it's no surprise that when someone comes into an intuitive eating journey, they have a lot of that mindset hanging around that's not really going to be helpful or constructive for them in this process. So really when it comes to mindset, this is a conversation that my clients and I have Probably throughout every session where we are getting really clear on, well, what food rule, what diet rule is informing this fear or this belief that you're having right now? And how can we unlearn that? How can we put a little bit of space between you and that rule so that it doesn't control you anymore? How can we insert a little bit of nutrition science, a little bit of self-compassion, a little bit of self-trust, whatever we need in this buffer space so that we can start to separate you, you know, who you are are as a person from all of these diet rules that have been controlling you for so long. So it really is this ongoing conversation that I have with everyone who I work with and even strangers on the street. Sometimes I love talking about (laughs) mindset, but the last thing that I will add here, that I feel like is so important is diet culture really teaches us a rhetoric around timing, right? We think 30 days is all I need to do X, Y, and Z, or I'm going to hop into this six week program and all of my problems around food are going to be solved. So diet culture really likes to put a timestamp in our heads around how long progress air quote should take on a journey like this but I like to be very upfront and clear with my clients as far as mindset is concerned that that expectation is also something we have to unlearn because if it has taken you months years decades even for many of my clients to get to this point in your relationship with food then it makes sense that it's probably going to take a decent amount of time for you to unlearn this mindset and relearn a mindset and, and these principles that are really going to help mend that relationship with food and body. So again, I know that was a lot, but mindset is something I could go on about for days. And it's something that is so important to tackle in a process like this.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's so important. I feel like no matter what the problem is in life, whether it's, you know, food problems, body image problems, anything that's stressing us out it really all goes back to mindset it all goes back to those beliefs we have that we've taken from childhood and that we've held on to and how we can like you said unlearn those and put new beliefs in their place so that's really really important thank you so much for sharing that Mm -hmm. what about the concept of mindfulness in regards to eating what can you enlighten us on about that Ah, Awesome
1: question. I love how insightful your questions are. It's like they all feed off of one another. This is great. Um, So mindfulness is a, a part of intuitive eating for sure. So I actually like to talk about mindfulness or mindful eating specifically, kind of as a sister or a cousin to intuitive eating. So they're actually two different things. And it's very easy to kind of use these words interchangeably, but actually, They are two different concepts because like I said intuitive eating is that the research informed 10 principles or that framework that is set forth by the book and mindful eating is more like a toolkit of what we can do when we approach a meal. So oftentimes I have clients start with me on their intuitive eating journey and mindful eating is something that we cover and I actually walk them through an exercise usually a couple of months into their journey with me because once we have unlearned, we'll use our favorite word there again, but once we have unlearned some of these diet culture rules and we have a little bit more mental real estate to fill with more neutral or positive attitudes towards food, I find that mindfulness and bringing all of our senses into an eating experience can be a really beautiful way to do one of the main things that intuitive eating is trying to get us to do, which is to have more pleasure and satisfaction and enjoyment out of eating one of the questions that i will often preface a mindful eating exercise with one of my clients with is can you ever think of a time where you maybe ate something but you just were not present and nine times out of ten their answer is yes (laughs) and my answer to that question would be yes too because we are all human and sometimes we have to eat on the run And that's okay. But the thing about being distracted while we are eating is that we don't really get the opportunity to absorb that experience for all that it is. So when it comes to mindful eating and getting more satisfaction out of our food, it really is a process of, like I said a few moments ago, engaging all five senses. So asking really exploratory questions like, what does this food look like does it have a color does it look like it has a texture is it vibrant does it have seeds you know getting really curious about the the sight of it mm. then does it feel a certain way of course you know if it's soup i'm not going to tell my clients to drag their hands through a pot of soup <laughs> but does the food have a specific feel to it and when we taste it What does it taste like? You know, how would you describe this eating experience to someone who has never had that food before? What kind of adjectives, what kind of verbs would you use to define how that experience with that food is landing for you? So I think mindfulness when it comes to food can be a really incredible tool to help us tap into the feedback that our body is giving and also understand that food can be a really pleasurable and beautiful experience if we are in the right mindset to receive that kind of circling back there to your mindset question.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's a really nice thing to share because it's such a tangible tip that we can take away today is just spending more time being mindful while we eat and being present instead of watching TV or, you know, eating on the go or just like texting, whatever we're doing. It's, it's taking a moment of appreciation for the food and I, I really love that. Um, that makes a lot of sense and how that would help. Um, I wanted to ask you too. So besides PB&J, this is going to be like a double question. <laughs> um, you love pb and J. I I want to know, do you have any like exciting variations or are you going with like the standard and what else do you typically eat in a day? Oh,
1: I love this question for anyone who does not follow my content yet, but maybe you will after this episode. You will find (laughs) that the things I'm very passionate about in life are intuitive eating and peanut butter and jelly in that order. (laughs) I am a huge fan of all things peanut butter and jelly, and I'm also a fan of switching it up a little bit sometimes. So I always love the classic PB&J. To be honest, though, well... Cool. I'm not really a fan of grape jelly, I much prefer more of like a raspberry or a strawberry. Um, so that's kind of like my go-to OG PB&J. But sometimes, if I'm feeling a little bit crazy, I like to take an actual fruit, like a, a real fresh fruit, and use that as the J. So for example, I will Ooh. really thinly slice some apples and maybe put some honey, or maybe some thinly sliced strawberries or raspberries, and I find since we just talked about mindful eating, that it brings a very interesting texture, a different mouthfeel. And even though I'm eating my love or a very similar <laughs> food to what I do on the daily, it adds a little bit of excitement and adventure and that kind of different taste and texture to quite literally sink my teeth into. So uh, kind of getting to the second part of your question, if it's not obvious already, I eat PB&J or some iteration of it nearly daily. I love it that I cannot get rid of it Um, as far as what the rest of my eating looks like it really depends on the day Um, and something that I love doing as a dietitian or an intuitive eating dietitian is actually bringing a little bit less of my own food preferences into uh, my social media content or conversations with clients because what I find kind of again tapping into what I said a few moments ago if we are all living in in diet culture with this diet mentality, it is so easy to have the belief that what we eat should look the same as what someone else eats, especially yeah. if that person is in a healthcare profession or in a position of power. So, I, I used to be super big into posting all the things that I would eat and enjoy, and it wasn't coming from a malicious standpoint whatsoever. But as I've gotten a little bit older and more experienced in the field I kind of realized well you know what might this be taking away from for other people's relationship with food what if I could you know talk about food and have conversations like this with you and let people know that they are the masters of their own body And they get to decide what feels best for them rather than looking to me and saying, well, I have to eat exactly like her. So really the only thing that you will hear me talk about super specifically with a couple of exceptions here and there, of course, when I offer some tips on, you know, meal prepping and and snack prepping. But the only thing you'll hear me talk about very passionately is peanut butter and jelly, because I like to be um, very open to the fact that everybody gets to make their own decisions and just because I eat something doesn't mean that that will work for you. And what you decide to eat, both you Leah and, you know, everybody else who is listening to the podcast should really come down to your preferences and what you have access to and, you know, how you're feeling on any given day. So I know that wasn't an exact direct answer to your question, but um, I hope that kind of provided a little bit of of a different perspective
0: there. That is such a good point. You're absolutely right there with, yeah, we, yeah, we tend to pick up everything from the people that we're looking at for, for that advice. So of course, someone like you, um, I love the fact actually that you do share the peanut butter and jelly thing, because you could easily be saying like, oh, don't eat bread. Like, you know, obviously you're teaching the opposite of that. Um, and with the intuition part. So that's awesome. Um, and I wanted to share um in college I used to fry pea, peanut butter and jelly in a pan or sometimes just just like mm. peanut butter in between bread and fry it until like it's like melty and warm. Have you ever done that?
1: Oh, I have. It's kind of like a PB&J grilled cheese but without the cheese. Yes. Is that like am I envisioning that correctly?
0: Yeah, it's so good. You yes. should make it tonight
1: huh. I've never tried that before. To be honest, I've never even thought to do that. So when we get off of this recording, I'm adding that immediately to my list of must try iterations of peanut butter and jelly. So (laughs) thank you for the inspiration.
0: (laughs) It's literally so good. I'm obsessed with peanut butter. It's amazing. Um, so my listeners are super busy ladies doing big things in the world. And one thing I know I try to eat a lot of things for and, and try to avoid certain foods for is, is energy. And I know this is probably gonna be different for everybody, but mm-hmm. we're looking for ways, you know, to keep us energized, keep us from avoiding kind of that sluggishness that we get after lunch on a work day. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So keeping energy levels up for busy, successful professionals. So we're not hitting that like 3 p.m. I need coffee slump. (laughs) And it is totally fine if you do need coffee at 3 p.m. I feel the same way many days. But yeah, I love that question so much because food is a beautiful wonderful the only really source of fuel for the body and it's my opinion that food is so much more than fuel and there's so much more to that conversation but I think what you're asking here really underscores the importance of fueling our body adequately and making sure we are getting enough fuel um, from day to day so I'll tackle the food piece first and then I'll actually add one little thing in about hydration (laughs) and staying hydrated So when it comes to food, like I said a couple of moments ago, food is energy for our body. It is um, biological fuel. And what I see happening a lot, again, in this whole, you know, diet culture conversation that we're having, what I see happening with women especially, I think you mentioned that most of your listeners are women, I see us being convinced that we feel like we have to always eat less and move our bodies more in order to feel worthy, accepted, quote unquote Mm -hmm. healthy, like we are doing a good job, whatever that might be. But this really is not the case because if you do not eat adequately multiple times throughout the day, then you are not going to have the energy to sustain any daily activity. You're not going to have the brain power and the brain fuel to sustain you throughout your workday or any movement practice you choose to involve yourself in. So if anyone who is listening has ever fallen victim to, I have to eat less and do more, and that has led you down a path of not feeling energized and feeling really sluggish, then I hope this answer sheds a little bit of light on why that may have happened. Because when we don't eat, the body is going to find ways to conserve energy and keep our vital organs going and what that's going to look like on the outside is that after lunch slump or after no lunch slump if we're talking about real restriction here so the tactical piece of advice that I would offer anyone who feels like they've fallen into this this trap or the trap of this messaging is to have what I call an emergency snack fund so in addition to of course eating regular meals however that looks for you or you know whatever way you feel find that to be satisfying, I really encourage all of my clients who work any, any job, um, especially that typical kind of nine to five schedule or even shift workers. If people are nurses, doctors, you know, it's going to be super important to keep your blood sugar levels steady and keep them up so that we're not hitting those slumps or those crashes throughout the day. So the emergency snack fund is exactly what it sounds like. Usually if clients have a desk, that they work at throughout the day, I encourage them to dedicate either a section of a drawer or one full drawer to just having a variety of non-perishable snacks on hand so that if they do get hungry in the middle of the afternoon or maybe their lunch wasn't satisfying enough, maybe they've been in meetings all day so they didn't get to take lunch, that they always know that they have their own back and they're going to have that emergency snack fund on hand because the longer we go, without food, the worse the outcome is going to be over time. The number one predictor of overeating at a later point to one's standards or binging, as, as we say in this field, is restriction or not getting enough fuel because your biological needs are always going to win if you don't get enough food right we're gonna feel sluggish we're not going to feel great Mm -hmm. and we are probably going to end up making up for that through some way shape or form at a later time so that emergency snack fund is a really awesome and tactical way to ensure that you are going to have enough fuel to support your energy levels throughout the day. And the last thing that I will add here is just about water. So our bodies are made up of a lot of water. And if we are not replenishing that water on a regular basis, then we're going to feel fatigued. We're going to feel like our, you know, our body temperature can't regulate as well as it would like to. And all of these slew of things that start to happen when we are not only undernourished, but we're underhydrated. So, something that I tell all of my clients to do is to have some sort of reusable water bottle on your person and treat it like it's your BFF. It is your pal, it is your partner in crime. Wherever you go, the water bottle is also going to go because you wouldn't leave your best friend behind. So I hope those are kind of two tactical tips, the emergency snack fund and the water bottle to help all of your listeners
0: keep energy up. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I feel like I just had like a light bulb on my head because I am someone who, (laughs) I usually drink like a green smoothie in the morning like pretty early. And then I eat lunch at like 11, 30, 12, but I always get super hungry around like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. And maybe Mm -hmm. I should eat a snack and listen to my body instead of just complaining about being hungry until lunchtime.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. It's incredible that, you know, the body has cues. The body has a way of letting you know what it needs. But really, then the ball is in our court saying, well, am I going to honor this? Or am I going mm-hmm. to ignore it? And I always encourage my clients and myself too, that if you're in a position to honor that or to you know lean into that cue that your body is giving you, it's always going to be a good idea to do that. So I'm glad you had a little light bulb moment. Maybe you can enact your own version of the emergency snack fund for your 9 a.m. dip in energy. <laughs>
0: I'm totally going to, and I'm I'm so guilty of being the person who's like, well, no, I don't need to eat extra food, right? Because we're told the less you eat, the healthier you'll be. So I really like that tip that you shared, right. and you know, it just helps us with feeling less guilty about having snacks and how that's actually an important part of our health. So again, thank you for the very tangible tips there, and definitely staying hydrated is so important. Um, love the analogy of the the water bottle is the best friend there. Um, what about some examples yeah. of foods that society tells us are healthy that truly aren't? Oh, this is
1: a good one. So I could go many, many different places <laughs> with this answer because there are a lot of myths about food and nutrition out there now. Um, but I think the thing that I will touch on, and of course, this will not be an exhaustive um proper answer to your question, but it's just what's on my mind now because I actually had a conversation about it with a client not too long ago earlier this evening. And something I see happening all of the time is documentaries or videos put out either on social media or by larger companies like Netflix or, you know, Amazon Prime, where these documentaries or these videos are promoting very strict and rigid approaches to food and eating. And oftentimes I'm not speaking to anyone, um, exact documentary or video specifically here, but oftentimes these videos are not, unbiased. And I think all humans are biased, right? Like it's kind of hard to make it throughout years of life and not have some sort of bias. We all do. Um, But it is my my hope that whenever someone is going to a nutrition professional or a health professional and asking about food, that we can try to give the most scientific and unbiased answer possible to help that person understand what's going to be best for them. So we as the provider or the healthcare practitioner, don't put our own opinions or our own agenda on that person. However, Mm -hmm. what happens with these these videos, these documentaries, whatever it is, they are very biased because they are funded by by companies and individuals who, again, are human and they also have bias. So um, what I see going wrong a lot of the times here, again, because these videos get a lot of traction and they gain a lot of popularity, is they make people feel inferior if their way of eating does not align with what's being promoted as the quote-unquote good or proper way of eating. And this is is terrible and awful for many different reasons. Um, But I think one of the the really big reasons is if we are constantly comparing our intake to someone else's, like we were talking about earlier, or making Mm -hmm. drastic shifts and changes in our approach to food and how we eat on the daily and we are doing that because we feel like we should or we have to to be air quote healthy and the drive isn't coming from our own desire where that kind of um, intrinsic sense of motivation then none of these changes or shifts that we embark upon are going to be sustainable and they're not going to last in the long run. So I know this answer isn't specifically hitting on an exact food, but I kind of want to speak a little bit more broadly to, you know, if anyone is, coming at you saying you know you have to eat this way or you have to take this supplement or you have to cut these foods out of your life and your initial gut reaction kind of like i was telling you that the first time i answered your question but the initial gut reaction is well, why? Or I don't want to do that. Or my life would be so much less enjoyable and satisfying if I lived that way. Then that might be evidence enough to say that you need to stay in your own lane. That you know what's best mm. for your body, and you don't have to prescribe to you know these shows or these books or or anything that doesn't feel good for you and your own body, even if whoever is presenting it is saying this is the healthiest way to live, you know, this is the end all be all, it all really boils down to what will work best for you
0: and what will fit best with your life. Okay, that makes so much sense. Okay what about do you have a favorite transformational story from maybe one of your clients that you'd love to share with us i have many
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, that's a a very loaded question um the one (laughs) though that is on the the very front of my mind or in the forefront of my mind rather is actually a client who I wrapped up with rather recently. Actually, it's been about a week since we had our final graduation call, as I like to say it. Um, I like to tell my clients that when we stop working together, it doesn't mean that you're done because this process extends beyond our time working together, but I like to call it graduating because you know, they've made it to a point in their journey where they are ready to do this on their own and they've mm. they've earned that, you know, the right to trust their body again because they feel confident in that. Um, So the one that I am thinking of is actually someone who came to me and she wanted help um, repairing and mending her relationship with food, but she really wanted to focus on her relationship with her body as well. She couldn't really remember the last time that she had said anything kind or at least neutral to her body she was in a very negative headspace and because of that her relationship with food was being damaged if we are constantly you know being overly critical of our body then it's going to be really hard to follow you know the path of intuitive eating because how the heck are we going to offer ourselves permission to eat and enjoy when we are constantly scared of what it's going to do to our body so she was very much in this headspace of my body is bad my body cannot be trusted i've been told over years and years that i need to change it and she really wanted help strengthening this relationship with herself so that she could then also strengthen the relationship with food and i remember very clearly on about our second or our third call. So it was very early in the time that she and I were working together and we had wrapped up our conversation. And at the end of my coaching calls with clients, I always ask them if they have any questions or comments, concerns or anything that we maybe didn't touch on that they wanted to. And she offered very simply and very timidly. Almost in that moment, she said, Claire, Do you really think this is going to work for me? Because everything that I've ever tried in the past has led me to the exact same place that I'm in right now. Nothing has worked. I I really think I'm just going to have to live this way for the rest of my life. And I said, I said her name, let's just pretend her name was Sarah. Um, I'm making up a fake name there, but I said, (laughs) Sarah, You know it's totally understandable why you might feel that way because if everything you've tried up until this point hasn't really gotten you to that better relationship then it makes sense right like it makes sense that you would believe that this also wouldn't work however right. if the only thing you haven't tried is what you and I are talking about or if the only thing you haven't done yet is the tactics and the tools that we're discussing, then I think you at least owe it to yourself to give it a shot and see how this turns out. Because I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be here in your corner, cheering you on and providing you that support. But nothing in this process is guaranteed unless you also show up and dedicate your energy and attention to this journey. And I said that. And she said, you know what, you're right, I'm here, (laughs) we're doing this, so I'm gonna lean into the process and I'm going to trust it. And I'm very happy to say that about six months later, it brings us about to present day, she feels so much better in her relationship with food and consequently also her body. She never thought she would be in a place where she wasn't always consumed with thoughts about food or how she looked, or her clothes, and she really is able to live now, as she told me just a few days ago, with the freedom and the mental real estate and energy to do more than pick herself apart and stress over her food choices. So, again, I have many that I could share, but that one was in the forefront of my mind
0: because it was a rather recent one. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. There's got to be so many people listening right now who can relate to that, who are just ripping their bodies apart all the time, feeling guilty around food. And like you said, I mean, taking up that much mental space distracts you from other parts of your life. And I, I wanted to touch back too on something you mentioned earlier about how it all ties together and that you can't just separate your body from food, from relationships, from mindset. It's it's all one flowing thing. So it makes sense that when you can heal that relationship with eating and dieting that you can heal your you know, body image issues. And I absolutely love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Awesome. What if you could give us maybe three action steps that our listeners can take away um, to start kind of stepping away from diet culture and into intuitive eating? What would that look like?
1: Mm. I love that question so much. And I really hope that whoever is listening right now is definitely getting some tactical steps and some takeaways um, that's something i've loved about this conversation so far is that you know we're woo at times but we're also very <laughs> uh, boots on the ground doing what we need to do to actually um, put the steps forth to mend that relationship with food and ourselves so the first yes. thing that i would say is actually the first principle of intuitive eating And this is in the book by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, like I mentioned earlier. I highly recommend that anyone get their hands on this book. So maybe that would be my first action step, actually. Um, (laughs) My pre-number one, but we can actually call this number one, that if you have not gotten your hands on this book, but what I am talking about sounds very intriguing and interesting, I really encourage you to just start diving into the world of not diet culture, the world of Mm -hmm. the non-diet revolution. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is by surrounding yourself with resources that align with this message and go against the diet culture message. So that would be step one is to surround yourself with resources that lift you up and encourage you to get curious and learn rather than resources that tear you down and make you feel like you are less than for doing less or for, you know, not eating a certain way, everything like we've been talking about throughout the episode. The second thing that I would encourage people to do, and this kind of ties in with the the latter part of step one there, is to really assess parts of your life where you believe the diet mentality may be sneaking its way in. So for many people in the day and age that we live in, for many people, the biggest culprit of this is social media. So if you mm. are following social media feeds that are promoting certain diets, or you know you have to look this way, or you have to take this supplement, kind of anything like I was saying a few moments ago, then it might be in your best interest to place a little bit of space between you and those messages because it's going to be really hard to put both feet in the intuitive eating boat like I mentioned before or fully lean into this journey if you are constantly bombarded by messages that tell you otherwise. If we are conflicted, if we have different messages swirling around in our brains, it's only going to lead to more confusion instead of more clarity. So figure out where the diet mentality is slipping in and see if you can start to cut those ties or put some space between you and those accounts or you and those devices like it might be my fitness pal, it might be a book that you're reading. It might be the scale in the bathroom or maybe the food scale on your kitchen mm. counter. Whatever it is that's perpetuating this negative relationship with food and self, just start to create some distance there. And the last thing I would say is going to be more of a mindset piece, which Leah, I think you'll like this because you asked <laughs> me about mindset a few moments ago. Um, but I'm gonna echo what I said a little bit earlier in the podcast about self-compassion. So again, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a broken record when I talk about this, but I talk about it so often because you cannot do this intuitive eating non-diet journey while also being super hard on yourself all of the time. Again, it makes total mm-hmm. sense why we come into this journey and we place these harsh expectations on ourselves if it has to look this way or it has to be this way or it has to progress in a certain amount of time but with intuitive eating which is very contrary to diet culture there is no right or wrong way to do it there is just your way there is your way of learning of getting curious and if you can't hold that space of patience and compassion for yourself then you're not going to be able to learn and ask these questions and get curious about the things that really might serve to move your journey journey forward. So it's full of ups and downs. Progress is not linear, but if you can hold that space of compassion for yourself, especially in those low moments, it will keep you moving forward rather than stagnating. So those are the three that I would offer. Again, I could offer many, many, but if I had to
0: condense it to three, that's what it would be. Awesome. I hope everyone's taking as many notes as I am. This has been so, so good. Thank you so much for sharing all this and for joining us tonight. I know my audience is going to be reaching out, giving us their takeaways, telling us what they loved about this. Um, Before I let you go, I'd love for you to share with us where we can find you, connect with you, learn more from you, get you being that voice in our minds instead of that whole diet culture that we're following. Um, Let's follow you instead. So where can we find you? Absolutely. Yes, I would agree. If you're going to
1: do that social media cleanse like I was talking about, maybe following some individuals like myself and other non-diet dietitians can be a really great place to start in addition to getting your hands on the resources like the book. So if you're looking for me personally, yours Julie, <laughs> you can find me Predominantly on Instagram is a platform where I hang out most, so my handle there is simply my name, Claire Tuning, which is a very fitting name for a dietitian because my last name is so close to chewing, but it does have that extra N, so C-H-E-W-N-I-N-G. Um, I also have a podcast, much like Leah herself here, that is called the Yours Chewly Podcast, Um, In addition to the podcast, I host a free private Facebook community. So this is not only for my one-on-one clients, but really anyone who is interested in learning more about intuitive eating and, you know, getting more of these tips or these sound bites in their daily life. I hang out on that community also every day so if you're interested in joining you can simply search the yours truly goal slayers on facebook and then i will shoot you the message with the application to join and the last place you can find me i feel like there's one more place i was going to plug here but that actually might be it podcast instagram facebook yeah That's actually all. So (laughs) I I feel like I'm in more places, but those are definitely the main ones. But um, yeah, before um, you add anything else and wrap up here, I just wanted to say thank you so, so much for inviting me on for allowing me to be your first guest it is always a pleasure being able to connect with like-minded individuals like yourself and i hope anyone in your audience who really vibes with these messages will reach out and keep in touch because i would love to be of help in any way possible
0: yay okay guys go follow her she's really fun to watch on instagram And she shares a lot of really tangible info too and and action stuff. So she's funny, but she's also sharing a lot of, of tips and tricks over there. So definitely worth following her. Thank you so much, Claire. I can't wait to catch back up with you soon. And thanks for being my first guest. Thanks, Leah. Bye. Bye.